Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here in Wade's office without Wade. It feels so nice. It is. It's just refreshing. It is. And uh, I'm here with Peter, you just heard. And we're also here with Valerie Locklear. And why don't you say hi, Valerie? Hello. And she is our guest today. And um, she's here because she's a friend of the podcast. And we go back a few years. We've had some connections there. We have a shared interest in apologetics. And she also has a shared interest with Peter, too, uh, with uh, uh, classical education. And we're going to get into that as we discuss her book, which came out when? When did it come out? March 13th of this year. Okay, uh, so... 2018, I should say. And so we've been promising since March 2018 <laughs> to have her on, and we finally got around to it. It is today, December... We actually saw her in California when <laughs> we were at the Human right. Still Stand conference, and we said... We really need to record with you, but since she's local, she's in the Milwaukee area, we said, well, we shouldn't do it here. We should enjoy, you know, like the festivities in, in California. And then it still took us this long right. to get her on. Yes, so. we're not, we're not uh, very good at this kind of stuff. It's December 30th today, my anniversary, Peter. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very Happy much. Happy anniversary. Yes, my wife is at her sister's house so uh, for the night. So we're separate. <laughs> uh, we won't Happy go into anniversary. it. It's, it's, it's just fine. It's, it's just fine. Um, but this won't come out until the end of January. And we are going to have a book giveaway. We have four books of her book called called to defend uh, an apologetics handbook for the middle school student and we'll explain that when we get into the main topic but for now uh, we're gonna go to peter for the fifteen seventeen information and our disclaimer and then we'll come back with a free-for-all we are members of the fifteen seventeen podcast network if you'd like to look at any of the podcasts from the network you can find them at fifteen seventeen dot org slash podcasts and uh, you can find our a link to our page there. You can find us at letthebirdfly.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and find us uh, wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all of those great places. Please do, uh, uh, if, you, if you're liking the podcast, share it, first of all. Rate, review us on iTunes and the other uh, platforms that allow you to do so. Um, rate us uh, at uh, give us a rating or a review on Facebook, whatever they call it there. That kind of stuff just helps a lot um, build our profile, so we really do appreciate it. Without further ado, let's get to our disclaimer so that even though Wade's not here, we don't run into any legal problems. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot, even without Wade here, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because while well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live freely, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And we're back with the free-for-all, where we wrestle with life's pressing questions and try to answer them once and for all. As Mike mentioned in the introduction, we are recording this at the end of December 20, 2018, but the episode will come out the end of January 2019. So looking forward to next year, we will be in the middle, in the doldrums of winter. And so we thought, well, let's discuss what it's like dealing with Wisconsin winters. Specifically, what do you do during these sometimes brutally cold, always, uh, you know, uh, Always dark. Dark, yeah. I was going to say depressing. Um, I was thinking way back to one of our first episodes where um, 
Ben uh, coined the hashtag not my time zone because he can't stand winter because of our time zone uh, problem here. Um, and I think we've pretty much established that it is a problem. If you're listening out there, uh, overlords, I mean, government officials, change our time zone for us um, because we don't like being depressed. Yeah, um, people that uh, you know live in California, and I, I, a lot of my childhood was in California, don't realize the long days of summer and how great that is. Yeah. But you get up and go to work and it's dark and you get home at night in the winter and it's dark. Yeah, you're yeah. you're driving home from work and it's already dark. It's just yeah, it's it's depressing. My mother worked uh she was a teacher up in Jackson. So sort of you know familiar with that a little yeah. bit Valerie and uh she had her that was her first teaching gig and she was in kind of a makeshift classroom in a basement and so in winter she would literally not see the sun. <laughs> literally not see the sun. Not even through a window. Yeah. That's, so it, that's it, it can get it can get kind of brutal after a while. I don't mind winter, but you know, it's a little rough. And Wisconsin's nothing compared to Minnesota, correct? Yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So Mike, what do you what, you you've spent time obviously a number of places, but Minnesota uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, so all across the uh, the northern Midwest, Missouri, and then California too. Right. So, and then one year in Texas, where yep. where you've spent some time too. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of rough. So, what uh, I like sledding for like once, for like an, <laughs> like, like, like an hour, maybe that's it. The kids are bugging me to go, but we don't have any snow on the ground down at, right now. But once they, I will make sure that they go sledding. We do like ice skating. Uh, the Hermanson girls and the Berg girls just a couple of days ago went downtown Milwaukee and did some uh, ice skating. I don't mind that. I played pickup hockey a little bit. I wasn't any good at it, but those are those are my my kind of things. Um, but I kind of like you know when I actually kind of liked it when snow came because I hate mowing the lawn and I hate leaves. <laughs> and so snow is, yes, it's difficult, but it's only once in a while when you have to go out there and shovel. So I kind of, I kind of like everything sort of dead for a while and, and subdued and it's not so noisy cause you have the, you have the, the snow there. We had some for a while in Minnesota, we had some neighbors that were quite loud and uh, spent most of their time outside and uh, sort of kind of look forward to winter when everybody kind of went back inside for a little went bit. Went inside and you had the insulation of the snow, right? Right. Like so you can just couldn't hear anything, right? <laughs> so I, I don't mind it, but uh, I, I do have to admit that uh, come the middle of January through February is pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Yeah. I think the worst part is then when you get kind of an early spring and then it it's just teases you. Yes. So. so Valerie, what do you do in the winter to uh, stay sane? Oh man. In the winter, I just hole up inside, try to get caught up on reading, but I totally agree with the, you almost start looking forwards to snow for yes, for the insulation and also just for the light. Yeah. Like waking up when it's so dark, if there's snow outside, at least there's a little bit of reflection there. <laughs> That's one of the things that, so I remember when I was in high school, I worked at um, a grocery store in Newell, Minnesota, Hy-Vee, you know, shout out to Hy-Vee, my first, my first <laughs> a, job. A good company. It was, it was very good. <laughs> yeah. Employee owned. <laughs> um, but I remember I was working late one night, um, kind of closing things down and I was, I went to a friend's house afterwards and it had to be like one in the morning by the time I, I was driving to my friend's house and it was middle of winter. Snow all over the ground, um, including the side streets. They hadn't, they didn't really get plowed. If it got, if it was cold enough, they didn't melt. And so it was just all snow. And then there was really big flakes coming down, and it was a full moon. 
Oh. So it was like the moon was kind of shining through a little bit. And it was, I, I'm, it's like I said, one in the morning. And I remember driving. I was like, it's almost daylight outside. It was so right? bright. And that was th- that was a moment where I realized, like, snow isn't all bad. Like, yes. this is this is very beautiful. And it's like, you know, <laughs> middle of night. And it was, everything was still and, you know, peaceful. The big snowflakes. I felt like I was in a snow globe, like what we had down in downtown. Yeah, it was. Was. Yeah. it was snowing by the time we left uh, ice skating. Yeah. And, and if you can get like sort of a little bit of wind with those big flakes and they grab onto the trees. Oh, yeah. Yes. You can look down the street uh, if you're in a neighborhood and it is quite beautiful and it's just fantastic, like December 20th to 26th. After that, <laughs> exactly. then yes. it becomes a little old and, and difficult. Uh, we had so much snow. And, and the problem with Minnesota, which you don't have in, Minnes- in Wisconsin as much, is there's times when it gets cold and stays cold, and so the ice never melts. Mm-hmm. And so you got yeah. snow on type, top of ice, and it's just you can hardly walk, let alone drive. Um, and we were in Minnesota when they had that big snowfall Christmas Day when um, the Metrodome roof yeah. Uh, collapsed <laughs> that day. We had lots and lots of snow, and I think we we actually canceled Christmas Day church and had it the next day. And we had uh, we had I think a little bit of leaking in our roof as it started to melt. We just had so much snow <laughs> on there, so it's it it's it's tough sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I see. You know, one of the things that I really despise about southeastern Wisconsin winters versus where I grew up in south central Minnesota, which is far enough north and it's not by the lake, you know, far far enough more north that the snow came and it generally stuck around. You know, you'd have a little bit of melting here and there, but when you had a good snow, you usually kind of kept that for most of the winter then. And uh, it just stayed cold enough. Whereas here in Milwaukee, it'll you'll get a big snow and then two weeks later it'll be gone. Yeah. And so then you just have this dirty, you know, kind of you know, nasty winter, black and brown. And, you know, I just, uh, I'd much rather have the snow. If it's going to be here. If it's going to be cold. Just give me the snow, stick around that the icing on the roads was always a pain to drive on, but it was beautiful. Right. I mean, like the roads right. stayed white instead of getting all, you know, nasty car gray. <laughs> <laughs> so other than, uh, other than trying to avoid the, uh, the outside, did you do, do you have you, or do you do anything like sledding or skating or, you have some you have some uh, siblings, correct? I do. Yes, I'm the youngest of five. So um, definitely, growing up, we did sledding. That was one of my favorite memories. I haven't gone in many years because we haven't had quite enough snow in a few years yeah. to really make it worthwhile. But I'm hoping for more snow this year. I would love to get back to that. Um, I'm terrible at ice skating. I've never tried skiing or snowboarding. Um, I can imagine that wouldn't end too well. But <laughs> <laughs> like to watch other people do it. See, I'm, I'm no good at almost any of this stuff but i i loved skiing cross-country skiing a little bit of downhill skiing loved sledding um ice skating not very good at it but always enjoyed doing it and it was you know this was always fun stuff as a kid i loved winter winter was the best i mean it was we'd get snow days so that you know that meant that you didn't have to go to school but there was a ton of snow so you could go outside and play and you know go sledding and um I, i remember just uh you know, building snow forts and just laying there and the you know for hours at a time in a snow fort and just thinking, yeah, this doesn't life doesn't get much better than this. Yes. And, you know, I mean, now I think about building a snow fort and I just think, who's got time for that? And it's <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a stressful thought. And, and my kids want to be outside and I just feel like it's cold. And yeah, I think I think winters used to be better. It's probably global warming that's the problem. It's uh, it's not me. <laughs> well, and the and the old timers in Minnesota will tell you about the some serious winters where you, they would have a uh, a rope from the barn to the house mm-hmm. that you had to hold on to 
because there were people who would get lost in a blizzard and literally die. Yeah, sure. So, or then pictures where uh, the whole house was covered and there was a pathway from the, you know, from the house to the farm, literally with like 10 foot walls of snow. Like you're in a bunker, <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, it, and we, we, you've seen that too, some of these snow drifts that are very, very, very large. Yep. It's, uh, it's a real thing, people out there in California, <laughs> um, this thing called winter. We had a, when, when I was in grade school or high school, late grade school, early high school, they were, uh, we had a, a Ford Ranger that was white. And I remember one time we had huge snow drift um, on our driveway and it was higher than the, than the, the pickup truck. And so it was white on this white background. I just remember looking at it thinking like, that is a lot of snow, right? I mean, like, <laughs> that's like taller than me snow. And then I probably went and jumped in it or something. But yeah, I mean, you, yeah. those snow drifts are, they can be very serious. So and again, that's what, one of the things I miss. You don't get that, you don't get that around here, but you also uh, don't have to deal with the, uh, incessant snow right i think yeah. that you know you get a day when it's a couple of days when it's 40 degrees in the middle of january and literally people are in shorts yeah here yes. and you don't always get that in minnesota so. no no i mean if it gets i think if it gets into the mid 30s in minnesota that's shorts weather in january <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i don't know I, I i probably should uh embrace my childhood more and get back to uh enjoying winter but it's tough i, I don't know I, I just blame it on on Wisconsin is, is not as much fun, but, um, man, I loved winter growing up. So, um, sitting inside, you said catching up on your reading and stuff. That's hard to do because we've got five kids at home. So it's just noisy inside. I'd, <laughs> yes. I'd probably do better, like going outside in the snow and, and Well, that's and why you need to build your snow fort, right? Go, build yeah, your snow the, fort. Or and... I could sit out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either or. <laughs> um, no, but the other thing I remember is, you know, getting like going outside and playing and coming in and getting hot chocolate yes. and just warming up, sitting by a fire or something like that. That was, you know, there's something magical about that as well. So, I mean, it was for me. I don't know. My kids probably will hate winter because I don't, I don't let them have any fun, I guess. <laughs> all right. Anything else, Mike? Nope. I'm all wintered out. You're all wintered out. <laughs> we're not even into January yet I as know. we record and we're wintered out. What about you, Valerie? Ready for spring. <laughs> <laughs> Always. It's the refrain in Wisconsin. <laughs> Our main topic today is going to be Valerie. That's going to be our main topic today. And so we're going to let her introduce herself and then eventually we'll get uh, to her book called To Defend, an apologetics handbook for the middle school student. But before we get there and before we explain our exciting new book giveaway process, which we'll get to a little bit, we're going to let Valerie just kind of tell you about herself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Um, I've been listening for a while, and I'd also like to say hi, Mom, because my mom is a huge fan of this podcast. She cannot win the book giveaway. Let's just put that right oh. away. No, nobody who is related to the guests or, you know, any that's just a standard. Well, I think has she, I think she maybe has won one of our books. You know, I think she did. She was an early, early listener, and she's a great... Uh, a, a, a great listener gives us a lot of uh, feedback. Uh, yes. 
on um, on Facebook for sure. Maybe a few emails as well. It's been great. Yes. So, yeah. she, she's she's repping the the hoodie today. Oh, she's got, she's got her gear on. The Let the yes. bird fly hoodie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, my name is Valerie Locklear, and um, I was born and raised in Wisconsin my whole life. Uh, currently, I am an educational assistant at a small school in Milwaukee, but my primary interest, my true love, is really apologetics. Um, I would say my two two primary would be apologetics and writing, hence, hence where the book came from. Um, I guess a little bit of my background would be I have an undergraduate degree in information technology, which everyone always wants to know, what on earth does that have to do with apologetics? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very uh, techie field. What, what is going on there? Um, when I was between junior and senior year of college, I heard about the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights. That sounds interesting. Mike, have you ever heard of that? <gasps> I have. I have <laughs> been there. Yes. You have? I have been there twice. And Valerie's been there twice as well. Yes. yes. And where's yes. that at? At least twice. Yeah, twice. twice. Yes. And that's in Strasbourg, France. Wonderful. Um, yeah. So I should, I should say my sister, Sabrina, is also a fellow of the Academy. So she, she kind of had had that idea before I did. Um, but in 2014, I heard about it because my one of my favorite college professors, Dr. Angus Manouge, was going to the academy. He was going to be one of the professors in residence. And he said, hey, you should, you should check this out. And I thought, okay, well, I like to travel. Um, it's two weeks in France. You know, this is this kind of sounds interesting. I'm sure I'll get something out of it. Um, so I basically went into that pretty blind. Um, I didn't do any prep work. I think I got two or three books and I figured it's not going to be anything that's really up my alley. Um, and by the end of day one, I realized how wrong I had been <laughs> and um, that this was something that had answered questions that I didn't know I had about my faith um, and that really opened my eyes to how deeply we can dig into what we believe, how deeply we can investigate it, and that that's a good thing, that's not a negative. Um, so I crammed <laughs> at the end of that first session to take the first written exam because I knew I wanted to come back for another session, and the way the academy works is if you would like to go on and do um, either the fellowship of the academy or the diploma of the academy, you need to have gone at least twice and taken two written exams. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll see if I pass this written exam, and that'll tell me if I come back for another year. Um, and somehow I did. So <laughs> between 2014 and when I went again in 2016, I started to do a lot more research. I started to read a lot more of the materials, um, and I realized that I wanted to do the diploma. So that would mean I would need to write a thesis. And I had no idea what I wanted to write about. Um, I kicked around a couple ideas. The I had two. Um, one was something to do with technology, more of what my undergraduate degree was, um, specifically technology and ethics and artificial intelligence. But my other idea was an apologetics curriculum of sorts for middle school students. And that was the one that I kept coming back to and the one that I was most interested in. Um, but it was also the one that I felt the least qualified to do. So I figured, well, 
I'll pitch this idea for the thesis to them and see what happens. And when they reject it, I'll have this safe backup. <laughs> <laughs> so I pitched the first idea, and they didn't reject it. And I realized I was stuck <laughs> in a really very good way. Um, so that really started me on researching more what are the intersections of apologetics, um, classical education. I was homeschooled, so taking a more holistic view of education, uh, and then specifically aiming that for middle school slash logic stage children. Um, and that's, that thesis eventually turned into my book, Call to Defend. Wonderful. So when did you actually present it at the academy and like defend it or however that, I don't know how exactly yes. that works. But. Yeah. So I, I presented it in uh, summer of 2016. So what that entailed was just uh, presenting it to Dr. Montgomery and the other professors in residence um, as the thesis, defending it, answering questions about it, and then um, through that earning the diploma of the academy. Good. Dr. Yeah. Montgomery has a podcast on the 1517 Network now, doesn't he? He does. Remembering that right? It's it's called uh, uh, Christianity on Trial. Yeah, I, COT is how yeah. the abbreviation. That's what I was saying. <laughs> Christianity on Trial. Yeah, so check that out at uh, fifteen seventeen. And, and uh, Valerie's book is published by fifteen seventeen, yeah. yes. and so um, and so you can go there for for more information on that book, and we'll we'll put a link to that, and also probably a link to to the Amazon page too. I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Good. So. I got to step back just a, just a little bit because, as you know, I think um, I'm in information technology now. I'm in IT, yes. and um, I started taking some courses in computer science kind of as a second career, although I never really had my first career. But um, just Being a student, well, maybe not a career, but it's a vocation. It's a vocation, exactly. yeah. It's a lifelong <laughs> student. I, um, I did my undergraduate work in um, theology, philosophy, some history. It was a very general liberal arts program. Yes. Um, and then I wanted to do more philosophy. So I went to graduate school, did master's and uh, ABD in philosophy. And uh, my wife has a PhD in English and you can't make a lot of money in the humanities. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started taking classes. I've always been interested in computers, started taking computer science classes and found myself now kind of backed into an IT job, which is great. Ah, I love it. Yes. But I'm curious, you said that you, one of your ideas was to do something that was kind of more computer science driven f with the apologetics. What, yes. what would have that been? I know you've got a, a chapter in here, the apologist paradigm, computer science. I don't know if that maybe is a hint or. Yes. Well, um, the, the, other, the other thesis idea I had is still kind of in the back of my mind, and I'm hoping at some point it makes its way out um, as another book. Oh, great. Um, well, I don't want you to give it too much away <laughs> so, then. <laughs> so I, 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 won't, I won't give the, the full details, but it's also, it's not very fleshed out. Um, that would have been more a philosophical mind-body problem and how we interact with um, specifically artificial intelligence. Okay. Where are we taking that? Um, what would be a, a, a proper view to have of things like advanced robotics? Um, could we ever have androids that have souls? Hmm. Um, investigating questions like that. Sure. So elements of um, that thinking definitely kind of made their way into my book, um, uh, in, into Call to Defend, in that when I think of computer science and information technology, I think of a mindset more than a specific skill set, per se. So the act of being able to look at something uh, with many different parts and being able to say, oh, this is how 
maybe they interconnect or this is how they're at odds with each other. So kind of a way of, I guess, framing the world um, in a liberal arts sort of way. Yeah, that's interesting. So the the um, professor actually here at WLC that I've taken computer science classes from, his PhD is actually in linguistics. And so when I first oh. met, met up with him, um, I said, I said, well, you know, my background is is all liberal arts and really the humanities. I said, so I don't have, you know, a lot of background that's going to be terribly helpful in my in my formal education. But this has just always been an interest of mine. And he said, I think that computer science is is squarely in the liberal arts. I said, that's Absolutely. how I teach it, and I and I've loved it. I mean, it's been it's been hard to not take more classes from him. He's about to uh, retire, and so I've you know I've been trying to get get out what I can. Yes. But it's interesting that you talk about that in that in that sense that there's this kind of liberal arts you know kind of underpinning in this idea of it being a mindset, yes. um, not you know not this you know table of knowledge that you have right rather. and um, that's yeah that's that's definitely how I've how I've seen it too and approached it so good okay I'm gonna come back into the conversation <laughs> now uh, I'm not a computer guys but I it is <laughs> very fascinating and the whole AI stuff is obviously um, applicable to our today today's situation so I hope that you have time to to write a second book yes. Speak. You, I should. Sorry, I got one more thing about the AI. So, yeah. um, one of the, one of the things that I studied in graduate school was um, philosophy of mind. Yes. And so there's. I didn't do a lot because we did. I did um, uh, continental philosophy versus analytic philosophy. And analytic philosophy does a lot more with philosophy of mind. Yeah. But that question of like, what is the mind? Right. This Cartesian question. That so if you start going down that road, you know, like, let me know. Yes. I'd, be, I'd be interested to have some conversations with you about that. Absolutely. So. Yeah. But if if we have you on again for your second book and you bring a robot friend however <laughs> then we are going to have a problem but we do we, we do hope i mean it's such a huge deal and it keeps coming up again and again and i think it'll come up more and more especially as we just try to wrestle with technology just in general in our society and uh, uh generations coming up not knowing how to interact with other people i mean it, yes. eventually someone's going to have to dig deep and actually um tackle these problems so we hope that you can write a second book. Now, speaking of books, her first book here, which is called To Defend, we have four copies here that we would like to give away, and, and the prize of them all is a hard hard cover. We have three soft covers and one hard cover. And they will all be signed. We'll have her sign them before she leaves here. So <laughs> they'll all be signed, but the hard cover signed copies, certainly a collector's. This is a First edition. Yes. This first edition. Be, first edition. This thing will be printed, you know, hundreds of times. So <laughs> this, get this one while you can. Um, but yeah, don't even read it. Don't even like crack open. You want to keep it right. Order your own copy. Order your own copy, <laughs> and then put this <laughs> on your shelf and as keep a collector. One, yep. Put it in plastic. There yes. you go. Um, why don't but, you explain our giveaway? Because yes. we're going to do it differently this time, and uh, because I think it would be more fun, and also because Wade's not here. Because Wade, yeah, um, yeah. So in the past, we've done book giveaways. We haven't done one for probably a year now, but um, we've done it where you just you know sign up and we just randomly select one, and that's uh, that's all fine and good. But Wade's not here, so we can pick on him a little bit. So. This is what we want you to do. We want you to email us, podcast at letthebirdfly.com, podcast at letthebirdfly.com. You can email us there. And you have to tell us what is the most cringeworthy thing you remember Wade saying on the podcast. Now, just give us your best one. And we know there's a lot out there. So you've got you to narrow it down. You can go back and listen to all the, all the episodes that you want to. Um, the most outrageous, the goofiest, the most, when you, when you went, oh, Wade, why'd you say that out loud? <laughs> right. That kind of, that's what we're looking for. 
and uh, then we'll we'll read the best ones right. on air. Yeah. And we'll take we'll take the uh, the top four for sure that we'll get that we'll, we'll get the prize. We'll read those um, on the on a future episode, and we will announce the winners. Um, and uh, you know, if we have runners up too, we'll announce when we'll read those. We the more the merrier, right? Let us know. And there is no shortage of material here, so. We expect good things from uh, from our listeners here, and who knows? It may even spark us to uh, to come up with some of our own uh, of our, some of our own thoughts. So, is that is that fair? Yep. And then we're gonna have a deadline, and the de- would uh, February fifth. Yeah, let's do it February fifth. Well, that'll give us two weeks from when this uh, episode posts. Uh, this episode should come out on or right around uh, January twenty second. So, give two weeks to email us. Um, we will try to remember to post stuff on our website or on. Why are on our Facebook page to tell people too to remind them that uh, this is uh, this is happening? But you know, share the word if you have other you know let the bird fly listeners. Make sure to let them know if they're you know sometimes a little behind. Say we got two weeks. You got to listen to this episode because you want to get a copy of this book. Yep. So please email us. What's the email address? Podcast at letthebirdfly.com. The most find out our website as well. Most outrageous, cringeworthy, goofiest thing that Wade has that you remember Wade saying. Um, on the podcast, and we'll pick four winners. So, um, Valerie, then um, let's let's go back to to your book. Um, why did you write it? What did you enjoy about writing it? Why don't you just go wherever you want, uh, specifically about your book called "To Defend"? Yeah. Well, when I was really starting to dig into apologetics, um, something that struck me about all of the wonderful resources available. Um, Fifteen seventeen has been amazing. Um, providing all sorts of different publications. Um, But I didn't see anything that was specifically aimed at or really even open to introducing apologetics to anyone really under high school age. You can find awesome resources. I think of Dr. Montgomery and many, many others for college age and above. And I mean, if you have a really advanced high school student, yeah, you can bring that down to their level. But I felt like we were missing an age where, in my experience, children are really beginning to question everything. (laughs) Nothing is off limits. Nothing is sacred, so to speak, to them. They are going to start um, having questions about the world around them and what they are being told as truth. So when I started thinking about that um, and some of the interactions I have had with children of that age, being a child of that age, I had so many questions that I felt like were answered with, well, because the Bible says so. Or, well, we'll talk about that in high school. Or we'll talk about that later. Um, And I thought, at a time where classical education especially labels these, and when I say middle school, I mean roughly grades four through eight can be a little bit on either side of that. But this logic stage, as classical education calls it, is really where the mind starts to question and synthesize different sorts of information. And I thought, that's ideal. That's the ideal time to introduce apologetics. Yeah, so in classical education, there's this general understanding of grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and there's debate in the classical education community about (laughs) whether or not we should apply those kind of generally like that, or if these are different stages within each stage of development or whatever. We don't need to get into that, but this idea that you do progress through your education and that you are better prepared to do different things at different stages through your education. For anyone who's a parent, this shouldn't be be a surprise, right? I've got a newborn at home. He's just about four months old. 
He can't walk. He can't crawl. He can't talk, right? We don't expect him to do that. We expect him to do things like, you know, vaguely grabbing at things, right? right? And so as you go through education, you have that as well. And one of the, that middle school stage, which, well, you know, is the logic stage is the way that in classical education, we're going to talk about that generally. That is the time when they're able to grasp things on a, for the first time, really, on a really kind of deep level. And it's still juvenile. I mean, it's yes. still, it's, it's still, sure. their, their understanding is still nascent, right? It's still yes. blooming, <laughs> but, but they're, they're really ready to grapple with, with bigger questions, meatier things. And so I love this stage. I taught middle school for a few years and I just, I mean, it's just fantastic time. It's also terrible. And they're, they're like, they lose <laughs> their minds for a few years because yes. you've got all of the hormones and everything that's changing. And so it's, it's both the best of times and the, and worst, the worst of times, times, right? I mean, it's, it's awful, but it is a time where I think we have, um, just in general in American education, kind of let go of a very valuable point in um, academic or intellectual formation. Yes. This is the time when they're first ready to really grapple with big questions yeah. in a real way. They're going to be still basic, you know, they're going to make kind of basic logical full pause and things of that sort. Right. But they're, they're actually getting into it and we look at them and they're annoying and I've got a 12 year old who's really annoying right now. and. So you just kind of want to push them aside and like, come back to me when you've gotten through, you know, all this puberty nonsense and your hormones are settled down and then we can talk. And that's fine. You know, when we do want to like kind of engage in there, but if we can fight through it, they have so much to offer and we have so much to offer as educators to them at that stage. If we can fight through that and force them to basically become adults in their thinking. Yes. So sorry, I kind of hijacked that. No, no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that was, that was one of the main motivators, I guess, for me was just seeing that there was nothing really available. Um, And one of my goals with um, writing this book was actually just to start the conversation, just to have this awareness that apologetics is not something that we should be putting off until high school, until college, just bringing the awareness that it's both possible and permissible <laughs> well, to and do. Maybe even necessary, not to interrupt. But, yes. Uh, when you say, you know, well, we got to get them in height. It may be too late. It's too late. It yeah. may be too late. We we worry about. We still have this kind of idea. Well, then they go to college, that liberal college. That's when they're going to lose their faith. Well, if you're not forming these things, if you're not answering the questions, not just in high school, but what we would call in the Lutheran Church, catechism age, Yes, it may be too late. And uh, so to be doing that for you preachers out there, to be doing that subtly and yet um, uh, not that it would take over catechism instruction, but to have some of that in there and just to, instead of just saying this is what it is, to say, okay, here's some questions that maybe you have, and here's what some really smart people have said about those questions. Yes. That kind of stuff. And so you're, you're right on uh, when it comes to uh, intellectual brain development, just the, 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 the biology of it, the classical um, um, education argument, but also pastorally. It's really a huge day. So, okay, go ahead. Yes, yeah. I should say with that reference to classical education, we did do a long time ago an episode on classical education, um, episode 18. So you can find that at letthebirdfly.com slash 18. That's, that's a long time ago, at least in our, in our world. So um, I haven't listened to that for a long time. But if you're interested in you're saying what is this classical education, there's at least a bit of a primer there on that. Yeah, 
So where does the title come from, The Called to Defend? I, the subtitle, I think, is, is more obvious, and that's kind of what we've been talking about, right? The subtitle is An Apologetics Handbook for the Middle School Student. And, and maybe we could just – I'm going to interrupt one more time, then Go I'm going to be done. Um, <laughs> it sounds, it's like, not really, sounds like a Wade it's, Yeah, it's not really so much a curriculum, like day one, do this, day two. Yes. It's, it's a handbook. I think that's the right term, is to think about how you might do this in the home, if you're homeschooling, even if you're not. But uh, for um, classical educators of that age would be helpful just to think about um, and you go through, you explain some of these things um, like um, uh, the trivium and all that kind of stuff uh, for pastors, all pastors who are teaching uh, confirmation age, uh, Lutheran educators in our Lutheran schools. It's a handbook to get you to think about the brain, the development, but then here are some connections um, with apologetics, and then also here is how you can connect other disciplines, put them together um, with apologetics, and even just those disciplines being put together. So it really is a good handbook, a primer on how to think about these things. Would, uh, would that be an accurate description? Yes, yes. No, uh, and thank you for, for saying that. My hope was not to make this something that was so rigid, right? So it doesn't have it doesn't have quizzes, it doesn't have exams, it doesn't have here are the hours of prep work you need to do in order to have these conversations. My hope is really that um, anyone in any sort of vocation would be able to pick this up. I have had um, several adults come to me and say, you know, I'm not I'm not in middle school. I don't really even know middle schoolers. Maybe I have grandchildren, or maybe I have neighbors who have children this age. But it really helped me to um, begin to think in that way. So that was definitely my my hope, my intention, <laughs> to have it be more accessible. Even if you're not totally sold on the classical education, even if you're not homeschooling or anything like that, just being able to say, oh, here are some ideas for starting the conversation. That's a great, a great point too. Is you know the sub the subtitle shouldn't put people off. In fact, right. I think it might pull some people in and say, "Oh, finally something I can just it's a that's going to be approachable enough, yes. right?" So if you're writing it with a middle school audience, and hopefully, as I've as we've talked about it, we we under, our listeners understand that you don't see middle schoolers as you know these inferior intellects that oh, need to be pandered to, but the opposite, right? That we're pulling them up and, and so yes. we're challenging them. Um, but that this is a, a great a great you know, starting point for that. Yes. For that. So back to the, uh, the called to defend, give yes. us a little bit of explanation of that. I'm always, I'm always fascinated how people select their titles, except for Wade's. I don't care about his. <laughs> um, yeah. So when I was, um, when I was kicking around titles for this, because I overthought, <laughs> I overthought a lot about what exactly do I title it? Um, that will hopefully kind of give people a little bit more insight into what I was thinking um, when I did this. And one of my favorite quotes, I guess you could call it a life quote now, um, is one that I heard at the academy. And uh, Dr. Angus Manoj was teaching, and he was talking about when we're doing apologetics and sometimes, or even, even just having conversations about our faith, even evangelism. And we have kind of this Hallmark movie idea of it, where, oh, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to share the gospel or I'm going to defend it so well and everything's going to be fantastic and everybody's going to want to come and hear more about Jesus and it'll, it'll just be great. Um, and he was kind of bringing us back down to earth <laughs> and saying, no, that's not, 
that's not how this is going to be. And he said, um, we aren't called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. And that really struck me. Um, it's kind of a what I would call a blinding flash of the obvious, right? We know this, we intellectually. Um, but then coming up against it when we're having conversations with actual people and we walk away and feel like, wow, I really blew that. Or I could have said something so much better. Um, so my thought in titling it Called to Defend was to focus on the fact that apologetics is really a vocation um, that is given to us. It's not something that we create for ourselves or a career path that we decide on. Oh, I'm going to be an apologist. Um, this is something that the Holy Spirit has gifted us with doing, just like evangelism, just like sharing the word. So it's not like martyrdom where we choose. I want to become a <laughs> martyr, but no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so one of, the, one of the things you're saying there reminds me about something that Mike will, will be very happy to talk about, I'm sure, is with vocation. We oftentimes think about apologetics, doing, doing apologetics, and our vocation as this kind of glamorous, right? Like, <laughs> uh, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to go out there and, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, yes. right? I mean, this is going to be some really, you know, kind of sexy stuff that's going to happen, and it's not. Um, oftentimes when you're doing apologetics, um, it's, it's very humbling and frustrating when you're doing vocation. Sometimes it's uh, changing stinky diapers. Although I haven't had to do that for like two months. I've been like so lucky right now. I, he just keeps, I just keep missing it. So my wife is like hoping that over break here that I get stuck with one, but so far so good. So no, but I mean, that's what vocation apologetics both kind of pull that. And Mike has done such a good job over the last year or so on the podcast, kind of interjecting that, that conversation in there and saying, you know. This isn't this is this is just what we're called to do, right? Yes. I mean, this is where we're placed, and we, we should do that faithfully. So, of course, one of the uh, Sadie's passages for apologetics would be, you know, uh, Saint Peter saying, "Always be ready with an answer for the hope you have in you," right? Or with an apology for the yes. hope you have in you. Um, and that's that's where we find ourselves. Um, if you're uh, into like Heideggerian philosophy, the the thrownness of life, we're thrown into this situation that um, we find ourselves, you know having to do these things. And yes. so we can do them better or, or worse, um, but in the end, it doesn't matter um, how well we do them, we just have to do them, right? right? And so one of the things that Mike has uh, you know, encouraged me to do is, uh, you know, not like personally, but just like from what he's talked about on the podcast is, you know, be better prepared, you know? I mean, like you're going to find yourself right. in these situations, so be ready for it, so. Right. And don't, don't hide when your child fills his britches, Peter. Just when it's there, do the job. It could be. That's right there. It could be that he is filling his britches as we speak right now, and I'll go home and I'll have dodged another one. <laughs> this is, you know, this is a that, that the angels sing when a father <laughs> changes a dirty diaper. We know this quote from Martin Luther, right? Um, apparently, that's a rare occurrence in the Hermitson household. <laughs> well, see, and I've I've never shirked uh, my uh, responsibilities for changing diapers. It's our fifth kid, and you know I've, I've changed plenty of diapers. Uh, but uh, I've just gotten real lucky on this. I mean, it's not like I go seeking them out. Like, no, 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 let me get this one. That's that's not what I'm what I'm after. But uh, you know, I mean, when there's when there's work to be done, it's got to be done. Now, so, my daughter, who's 12 years old and should be changing these dirty diapers, Ben, when when my wife was expecting, said this is your child now, you know, you're responsible for this one. He would ask her, what are you going to name him? And things like that. <laughs> she hasn't changed a single dirty diaper yet. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, that's also a problem. Yeah. But you know, w look at her role model, P 
computer. This is, this is true. This is true. Right. Well, this is maybe a different different episode, Peter and, <laughs> Peter and his fatherhood. Um, Valerie, uh, apologetics has kind of a long history with the liberal arts and the classical education model. Um, maybe you can speak about that. What's the intersection between, I mean, you, you help explain some of the classical uh, basics of classical education, the liberal arts, and, uh, and it's very fitting in a book apologetics. So maybe you can explain that a little bit to us and, 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 and how people think, how we should think, especially um, during that logic stage. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, again, struck me when I was when I was researching this book was that I still kind of had this mistaken idea, especially when I went to the academy. When I went in blind, I didn't really have any background prep. I'm like, oh, you do apologetics. That's just kind of a compartmentalized thing. It's not something that is a uh, is related to other areas of life. I guess. And then when I went and I started to learn more about it, I was like, oh, this is going back to the computer science thing. This is a mindset. Apologetics isn't I'm going to go out and I'm going to defend this now. It's more being aware of these are all the different ways in which everything ties together, which was one of the reasons I went with um, sort of the classical education updated quadrivium, if you will, um, the four four subject areas that I chose to uh, tie to apologetics. Um, so when I went through, I was looking at things like mathematics and computer science, um, and then on to history and creative writing, and really seeing that the more, in my opinion, that we look at life in this compartmentalized way, like now I am going to do science. Now I am going to do art. Now I am going to do all of these separate um, stations, if you will, these separate jobs without having something that really ties them together and really grounds them. I think we're missing um, a huge opportunity to really live unapologetically, I like to say, that we're approaching this as a vocation in any vocation that we have, whether that's student or parents, teacher, how can we start to think about the defense of the faith, giving a reason for the hope that that is within us in all of these different areas instead of feeling like, well, I need to go and do something else in order to do apologetics. I need to do debates. I need to talk to specific people um, instead of being aware of the mission fields that God has placed us in wherever that is. Yeah, and one of the things that I think we miss, and Mike kind of touched on this a little bit when he talked about middle school being where in the Lutheran church we tend to do catechesis, right? Yes. Is that time. We're, in catechesis, we're preparing you know, students. We're saying, hey, you're a, you're, you can better understand the faith that you, were, yeah. that you were gifted in baptism, so it's part of our responsibility to help you understand that and give, give it words, articulate it, right? Yeah. And um, we... we uh, also help our our children and our students um, when we when we give them the apologetic underpinning to understand it not only so that they can defend it to other people but so that they can defend it to themselves yes. as those doubts creep in and the doubts should creep in they, I mean they're they're natural they're real right I yes. mean does God exist that's a question that if you're not asking that you maybe haven't been asking the you know questions you know deep enough right <laughs> yes. and, I, and I don't say that because I want people to go out and you know question their faith but because I think it's a real question that um, 
most people are going to come across at some point in their life. And if we, tr if we bury our head in the sand and say, well, don't ask those questions, those questions are dangerous. Yes. Well, then we leave them completely unprepared, not to defend it to other people, but for, but themselves, for themselves, right? And that's, you know, as a, as a father, that's where it becomes really important for me. I say, yeah. well, I, my kids, you know, we, we worry about them going off to college and, you know, oh, they're going to go off to the, the liberal university and everything's going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't worry me as much um, as me not preparing them to understand their faith and to kind of have that as a, as a place to fall back on. Now I know they're going to question it. If they don't question it, I haven't done my job preparing <laughs> yes. them as a human being, right? Yes. Um, but we want them to question it within, with, but also to have the tools then to understand it and defend it even to themselves. And if, yes. you, and if you leave it at, um, don't question this, you just believe, then when you doubt, the only basis for your, let's get right to the, the rubber hitting the road, the only basis for your salvation is the strength of your faith. Yes. And when you start questioning your faith, well, then you're in trouble. Right. You have to see that this faith is grounded in reality and facts. And yeah, so what if somebody comes up and questions the existence of God or the existence or the, the, the historicity of Jesus' miracles or his resurrection? Um, if you've never thought that through, you're like, oh, crap. Right. But if you go, well, there's a lot of there's actually it does kind of make sense. And, and I'm, it's not me necessarily a home run here. Um, but I'm just not going to fall apart the first person that comes in and says, oh, you shouldn't believe that because that's dumb. Yes. I'm like, well, hold on now a little bit, you know? And so just the fact that just the fact that somebody has actually just the fact that a middle schooler knows that somebody out there has actually thought about this. They may even not know the argument for or against, but just the fact they're like, Hold on, let me let me call somebody up. Let me call yeah. my pastor up because he did not just tell me believe this or else. He actually took the time to think it through and answer my questions. And maybe even I you, we don't want to bring up questions necessarily and shake someone's faith, but in catechesis you may say, "Well, somebody has some people believe this. Well, now think this through." Yes. And even if that that middle school child is not totally convinced, they at least know that somebody's thought about it out there, and so they're in the place of okay, let me let me debate both sides, let me see both sides instead of it's faith over here and it's rationality over here, and I got to choose between turning my brain off and being uh, a productive person in society or being a wacko who just believes in fairy tales. Yes. And I. I think that that might all come back to this idea of the strength of your faith as if that's something that, first yes. of all, we do. And second of all, that is, is credited, you know, like is credited to us as our own work then, because we don't, as, as Lutherans, we don't, we don't believe that, that our faith is something that, that we are working out, right? It's a gift that's given to us and it's strengthened through the, the, the avenues that, that, uh, that Jesus promised would strengthen them, right? Namely, the marks of the church, right? These are the things we go to, and we say this is where, where we find it. But the strength of our faith is not what assures our, our confidence and ultimately our salvation, right? It is the truth of God's claim that Jesus did what he, what he came to do and that he did it for us, right? And that's it. 
period, right? This is yes. going back to like the premise of the podcast. This is what, what we're trying to kind of convey is that this is what frees us to let the bird fly. Yes. That we truly have been given this world back um, through Jesus' work because it, do, he, it does what God says it's going to do. Not because we believe it so, so, so much, but because it is what, it, what God says it is. So Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. So what, what else? What else about your book that uh, you would like our listeners to, uh, to know? Um, wow. Well, it was, it was a difficult journey to write. <laughs> um, it, was, <clears throat> it was really eye-opening. Um, and I think one of the things that I personally kept coming back to when I was writing it is um, being able to ask myself, what do I hope no one ever asks me about my faith. Um, because that really made me focus in and really confront the doubts that I had, the doubts that I have, right? Because like you say, there are questions that come up. And just being able to realize that um, the Christian faith out of all of the world's religions can not only stand up to that kind of scrutiny, but actually encourages it. Um, going back to 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared, and then being able to let truth and falsehood grapple, being able to investigate what about me is so inadequate, which, as we said, our faith is not founded on faith. Our faith is founded on fact, on Christ, um, and everything that he has done for us, not what we have done, or the strength of our belief. Um, and that's what I hope that. Uh, readers would get out of that, if nothing else, being able to question and being able to grapple with that. Yeah, and, and I like what you're going there, that not to put words in your mouth, but we're not afraid of investigation. Yes. We're not afraid of thinking. We're not afraid of having a discussion. And this plays well into the to the classical education that we are developing well-rounded people who can speak about the arts and literature and history and can put those things together in, in for lack of a better term, a worldview uh, where there's a creator who designed something, designed it for us to uh, investigate and to enjoy and to flourish in. And we can have a conversation with anybody. Yes. And that's where those conversations, that's where evangelism happens. It doesn't happen really door-to-door. That going yeah. door-to-door is fine. No, it happens in relationships, right? Yeah. Yes. It ha- you, going door-to-door is to, is to start a relationship. And if all you have to offer in the relationship is some pat sayings about, you know, Jesus is awesome, you know, it's, it's not going to go very far. <laughs> you know, it's not. Or, or even if it does, even if you bring someone in, the moment that, heartache, hardship yes. befalls them, which it will happen. We live in a fallen world. You, you, the found, you have no foundation to, to, to stand on, right? Yeah, and I think Christians have had a long history, although we always haven't been very good at it, but a long history of saying, yes, let's go learn. Let's build universities. Let's, let's investigate things. Let's, let's have the freedom to have artistic expression, um, both in literature and then also the visual arts, and allows us to have uh, an impact on the world, but also conversations with people, literal conversations with people, where you can then not subversely interject your faith, 
but that it just naturally flows <laughs> out of it. And, um, and people will respect you for that. And that's where the real evangelism, I think, especially in our day and age, that, that's where it really occurs because a lot of people see Christianity out from outside the walls of, of Christianity. They see Christians as unthinking, um, um, you know, self-righteous sometimes, um, uh, um, maybe politically motivated in a certain way that doesn't necessarily agree with their own own politics. And they they see us dumb sometimes and not very well rounded. And that's a that's a shame because that's not the history of Christianity. Right. And all of these things can be true, are true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You mentioned classical education and the liberal arts in general. And, you know, the liberal arts are, um, you know, historically the seven liberal arts. They're they're liberal in that they in that they're freeing. Right. These are the arts, the techne that that free the the person. Right. Mm -hmm. So it prepares them. Um, their their mind um, to and it's for the people who are free. This is not the servants' yes. education right. who are learning how to do a specific thing to serve mm-hmm. those who are free. Yeah, so you have to have the freedom to do to to do this right, the 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 leisure and the liberty to do that. Um, but the point is that this is your when you're cultivating through the liberal arts, your your the the idea is that you're cultivating the individual and the mind to free them to do the most human tasks of thinking, right? Yes. And so you know, I always think that at the heart of the liberal arts for me, and I'm prejudice here, but or I'm biased, I should say here, it's it's philosophy because philosophy is the love of wisdom and you're always kind of driving towards that. But even in the classical education, you have the, in the trivium, the first three, the, you know, grammar, logic, rhetoric, you have building towards this idea of communication, right? So, I mean, it fits perfectly in with apologetics, fits perfectly in with vocation, all of these things. Um, but it's all developing that the individual, you know, in, in the case of a, of a student, a child, to become a, a more complete human being. And I'm talking about this not specifically spiritually, but intellectually, you know. So, I mean, like all of this builds. And that gives them then a, a framework that uh, within which they can articulate their faith. And there's yes. where we get back to, you know, apologetics specifically. Yes. No, definitely. And I think the the emphasis on communication cannot be overstated, <laughs> for sure. And apologetics being done in, um, in relationship and um, something that really helped me to really pin down what, what okay, what exactly is apologetics um, was one of the definitions I found uh, primarily from Dr. Montgomery, which would be, I like to call apologetics CPR, um, clarification what is it that we actually believe positive evidence is being able to show, hey, there is some, there's some facts behind here. Um, and then refutation, being able to lovingly point out um, the flaws or the inadequacies in other worldviews, but that cannot happen outside of relationship with individual people. Yeah, and so it's not so much a debate. You're not going yes. into, you're, you are not going to probably ever be in a debate right. with an atheist. Uh, you may online, you may as a <laughs> pastor, you may pick a fight, um, that's fine. But for the most part, it's your skeptical friend and you happen to be talking about whatever yes. and things come up and then you have a natural conversation. And that's where it's, it's so much easier, I think, in our day and age, uh, more so than it was for Peter, who says, you know, when, when he says to always be prepared, but do this with love. Yes. Well, that's what, it's kind of easier for us, um, even though we're at it. seems like we're at each other's throats. The truth of the matter is that the most most relationships we have are 
open and honest and people respect other people's opinions even if they don't uh, agree with them as long as you're face to face online's a different different animal but uh, you can have these conversations and then um, back to the kind of classical education learning how to think and and having a well-rounded education um, you know Valerie I'm sure you heard this at the Academy this was one of those things that stuck in my mind was that you could make an argument that um, every fact is an apologetic fact. We may not know yes. yet why <laughs> why it, 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 it traces itself back to God, but there's no discipline out there, not even computer science, that doesn't have something to say about who we are, where we are going, is this place designed, is there a God, all those big questions that we're all wrestling with, whether we, whether we like to admit it or not, we are. And so to be a well-rounded person and to have those conversations with, that's where evangelism is going to happen, that's where apologetics is going to happen. And to prepare our middle school kids not by saying, here's what you say in this situation, yes. like you have a Rolodex, they wouldn't know what a Rolodex <laughs> is anyway, but you have a Rolodex of answers to every, every skeptical question, but that you're able to think about it and you're able to have a conversation. And quite frankly, uh, being a good apologist is um, failing quite a bit. Yes. Um, and there is... Uh, there's a little theology of the cross there too that it's it's you 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 don't just become an apologist uh like you you don't just study theology you are a theologian you are an apologist by going out there and um on fire for jesus and then get shut down and then have to think about it and have to think it through and and not just rehearsing it in your mind what you would say but rehearsing over the argument in your mind convincing yourself maybe even that's a bad way to put it but you know what i mean so that you are prepared then the next time that um that skeptical question comes your way yes good well we should probably get to wrapping this up but i want to i've got one other just kind of general question for you so take as much time as you want it but yeah. so you're right now. You've you've written this book. Came out this last year. Um, you've got another book that idea that's rolling around. So we're really hoping that that yes. that that happens. If we can be of any help, please let us know. <laughs> um, what what else? What 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 do you have in store? Um, what are your what are your plans? You've you've and, done and yeah. Maybe speak about the the school that you're working at. Right. right yeah. now, so I was going to say because you were you said you got you know your education is in IT, but now you're an educator. So yeah, give us a little yes. bit about where you're at, where where you're going, yes. or where you would like to go. Sure. Well, in addition to that one um, that one book that's still rolling around in the in the back of my mind that I hope makes its way out at some point. Um, one of my hopes is also to, I originally envisioned Call to Defend as a series, so kind of tracing um, that trivium. So this would be the logic stage one. I would really like to, I'm in the very beginning research stages of doing one for even younger. Hmm. Um, wow. So more elementary age um, grammar stage, mm -hmm. if you will, and what that would look like. So that's kind of hopefully next on the horizon, God willing. Um, 1517 has been uh, kind enough to let me do some writing for them as well. So I am a contributor on their blog, uh, which has been fantastic to be able to get a little bit more experience that way and network with some, some truly amazing people. Um, my day job though, yes, I'm an uh, educational assistant at a, a Lutheran school in Milwaukee. So I bounce back and forth between, right now I'm in first and second grade. Um, when I graduated from college with my degree in uh, 
IT. I did work in the IT field for um, a couple years after that, and it was wonderful, um, but not quite not quite the fit I was looking for. So actually, that's a, that's a new development. I just recently switched careers, I guess you would say, <laughs> <laughs> this past year. And um, I've really been enjoying it. It's really been teaching me a lot. Um, it has been solidifying in my mind that apologetics is not beyond the reach of these children, and it's not even beyond the reach of elementary age children either. So. We'll see where that goes. Good. I'm glad you mentioned the um, that you you write for uh, 1517 on their blogs and things. I just remembered. Oh, I should pull that up and I'll add that to the show notes page. But it looks like it's 1517.org/valerie. Yes. Am I finding that right? Okay. Yes. Do, so you, do you have like this? You have like share like Valerie is just a name now. Do we yeah. like, <laughs> slash <laughs> Valerie? It's just, like it's just a thing. It's now? just like a you know one word right? Like uh, those artists that are so famous. Well, so just one word. You're, 1517 <laughs> has got their priorities straight. They've got you just with your first name. Which is perfect. <laughs> and Wade, I found out just recently that they had they had his uh, his URL was fifteen seventeen slash Johnson without the T in it. So oh. it was it even misspelled his name. They corrected it now, but I thought that was perfect. Yeah. Well, and yeah. then one step below that is um, Wade and his guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they know who our names are. So we're we're like we're like a couple <laughs> runs below. So. Yeah, that's that's depressing, but uh, that's all right. We can still make fun of Wade. <laughs> Well, good. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, check out the link called to defend an apologetics handbook for the middle school student, Valerie Locklear, or just Valerie. <laughs> and uh, please do email us uh, in the next couple weeks before February 5th. Um, you're the, the craziest, cringeworthy, outrageous thing you remember Wade saying on the podcast and we'll pick the top four, and you will get a signed copy. And it better just be Valerie. <laughs> the signature better just be Valerie now. <laughs> a signed copy of Called to Defend, and we'll read on the podcast um, your favorite uh, Wade, Wade comments. So with that being said, um, this intersection between apologetics and uh, classical education is just so fascinating to me and really important, especially um, in the logic age, as you said. And the two things that come to mind is the liberal arts is something that is quite, it's for people who are free. And, and a beautiful situation in America is that we're all free. And so we want that kind of liberal education for other people. And then when it comes to uh, apologetics, Christian apologetics, we're free from sin. We're free from the fear of death. And that's truly what frees us to then go out into the world, adventure all things, uh, study, learn, and investigate. Finally, uh, with those two kinds of concepts of freedom uh, blend together, it really is a world uh, given back to us. And so with all that said, we can just go and let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get in my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a jank. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. One more round won't get me down.
rush to my face began to fuss and I said, honey, honey, I don't care what the people are thinking.